Pastor Chris's podcast. Our scripture today is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A Christian person, a Christian is a person for whom Jesus Christ is Lord of all. In the Methodist Church, we begin our Christian life with a profession of faith where we promise to follow Jesus as Lord, to obey him, to follow him, to live after his example. And if you are already a Christian, then uh, we're going to do something this morning. I want to invite you to reaffirm your Christian vows with me today. And if you've never made a promise to follow Jesus, then I would invite you to make that promise right now. It's something that we can do right now. And so I'm going to put the Christian profession of faith up on the screen and we are going to affirm it together right now. This might sound familiar because these are the vows that we use when somebody becomes a Christian, when they join the church or when we confirm someone or when we baptize someone. Would you stand with me then as we reaffirm or affirm our our promises to the Lord? On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and and repent of your sin? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, And promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. Thank you. You may be seated. If you made that promise before, or if you made that promise today for the first time, if it was indeed truly the desire of your heart, then you are a Christian. You have received the gift that the Lord Christ gives you. You have been forgiven of your sins. You, and, and if you truly follow him as your Lord, then you will inherit eternal life and you will be with Jesus in paradise for all eternity. Your sins are forgiven and they will not be counted against you. That is amazing. That is something to praise God about. Hallelujah. And Romans chapter 12, verse 2, explains how those of us who have made that profession who count ourselves to be a Christian, Romans 12, 2 explains how we are to live. It says we are not to copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. Instead, we are to let God transform us into a new person by changing the way we think. Will you do that as a follower of Christ? Will you stop copying the behaviors and customs of this world? And let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. We've been looking at some of the questions that people have submitted 
questions that you've had about the Christian faith or spirituality. And I have one more question that I want to address in this series. And this is the question that came in. What is the Christian response to racism? What is the Christian response to racism? According to the Anti-Defamation League, racism is the belief that a particular race is superior or inferior to another. That a person's social and moral traits are predetermined by his or her inborn biological characteristics. Racial separatism is the belief that most of the time, based on racism, that different races should not that different races should remain segregated and apart from one another. That's what the Anti-Defamation League how they define racism. According to Christianity, racism is a consequence of sin in a fallen world. The consequences of sin are terrible. The consequences of racism are terrible. They hurt people. They hurt communities. They break our relationship with God and they disrupt our relationship with one another. Christian minister and civil rights champion, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. taught that racism is just as damaging to the racist person as to the people that they oppress. King fought for civil rights and he fought to liberate not only blacks who suffered discrimination, but also the white supremacists who were trapped in a wrong way of thinking. And he said that he was trying to free them as well as those that they were seeking to hurt. And so the short answer to the question today is this. What is the Christian response to racism? It's what we promise to do in our Christian profession of faith. We must renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of our sins. And we must resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. That's the short answer. We know if we believe in God, if we believe what Scripture says, we know Satan is a liar, that he is the father of lies. And we've been lied to quite often. The Christian website Answers in Genesis says, because of our culture's racist roots, because of the way the world thinks, because of the influence of Darwinian thinking, we have been programmed to look at the exterior rather than the interior of a person and to make broad judgments based on what we see. So we see a, a black man and we judge his character based on the color of his skin. That's the, the fallen way that humanity does, makes judgments. We see an Asian woman or a Latino person and we make judgments about their personality, about their character, based solely on the way they look or the language they speak. And it's really ludicrous. It's really ludicrous. In the past, some even within the church, have tried to use the Bible to justify their own racist behaviors. But there is no credible way to show that the Bible condones 
racism, or the idea that one race is superior to another. God just does not believe that. And that is not the witness of his story in his word in the Bible. On the contrary, what the Bible clearly teaches is that, number one, there is only one biological race. We are all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. We're all of one race. All humans are descended from Adam and Eve, and so all are related and need the salvation that is offered by Jesus. From a biblical perspective, there is only one biological race. This is confirmed. This is interesting. This is confirmed by science. We are all one race. Biblically and scientifically, there is no defense for racism. The real differences between the races is cultural, not genetic. In other words, do you realize that you are just as likely, if you have a kidney problem and you need a new kidney, you are just as likely to find a match among a black person if you're white than you are if you among a white person. There's no statistically no difference that you could find other than the appearance of their skin. So the differences that we see are literally only skin deep. And it is sin and evil that causes people to judge other people by the appearance of their skin instead of their con- the content of their character. Racism is a shallow and corrupt way of thinking. And Christian and the Christian should have nothing to do with it. We must reject this evil and resist it whenever we see it. What does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that we are all one race. The Bible teaches that interracial marriage is okay. People have had trouble with that through the ages. Think about it. What what do we see in Scripture? Many godly people in the Old Testament were outsiders to the Jewish people. Moses, the great prophet Moses that led the people out of slavery in Egypt, had an interracial marriage. He was a Hebrew man and his wife Miriam was a Midianite. Rahab and Ruth were foreign Gentiles who interracially married into God's people and were so notable that they are included in Jesus' genealogy. If it was good enough for Jesus' family tree, why would we have any problem with it? Ruth has a whole book named after her in the Old Testament. She was a righteous woman, and her husband, Boaz, was considered a righteous man. The same, we find the same principles in the New Testament. The New Testament does not counsel anywhere against interracial marriage. The only kind of marriage that the Bible counsels against is marriages between believers and unbelievers. That's what the scripture says. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 says, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? How, what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what the, the scripture is talking about here is not trying to make a, a rule that says you can't do this. What it's saying is it, it, 
If you're going to marry someone, you need to look for someone who has, that's the most intimate, most deepest, most important relationship you're going to have with another person in this life. You need to have the same core values. And if you're a Christian, the thing that ought to be most central to your identity and who you are is your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That ought to be first and foremost. And so if you are a Christian and you're looking for someone to marry, what Paul is telling you is he's saying, find someone who has the same core value as you. Why would you look for someone who who doesn't believe in God if you're a Christian? That's going to be really hard. That's what Scripture is saying. That's what Paul is getting at. Now, if we look at the history of our nation, what do you think people have been more concerned about over the last 50 to 100 years? Is it interracial marriage? Or is it being married to someone who's not a Christian? But that kind of gives you a clue as to what we're really concerned about. We're not concerned about what the Bible says. We're concerned about our own cultural stereotypes and bigotries. The Bible also teaches that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, nor slave nor free. Corinthians, uh, Colossians 3.11 says, In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric or uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in us all. In other words, it doesn't matter what country you're from, what ethnicity you are. If you are a Christian, then we are brothers and sisters. That's what matters. We might have a different colored candy-coated shell on the outside, but we're all the same on the inside. And the colors on the outside are just decorations to make life beautiful and interesting. So how should a Christian respond to racism if the Word of God is going to transform us into new people? First of all, I'd say, let the word of God change the way you think. We've got to recognize that we've lived in a fallen world, in a fallen society, even though we have a wonderful, beautiful country with so many good things, but it's not perfect. And part of the the thing that we've struggled with is the lies that Satan has told us about the color of our skin and how that affects who we are inside. And we need to let go of some of those things And we need to let the word of God transform the way we think. We need to reject the corrupt ideas of this world, including the wrong ideas that we've inherited, and assimilate God's ideas from his word. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no more Jew or Gentile or male or female. Our affiliations in Christ far outweigh the differences in our skin color, our culture, our nationality, and even whether you know I'm a man or a woman, God is above that. Secondly, we need to live out the principles of God's word. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, don't just listen to God's word. 
You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. You see, Christians need to take God's word to heart and live by God's standards, not by the world's lies. We must love our neighbors the way God loves them. And third, we need to build real relationships. Real relationships with real people. The Christian response, your personal response, needs to be real, not just words. You know, people like to watch TV and and news stories and we get all worked up about the things we see that's happening somewhere else in the country. But it hardly has anything to do with our real lives right here, right now, in our homes, in our schools, and workplaces, and neighborhoods. Mostly, all of that stuff that we see on the news, it just becomes an excuse to confine your personal response to racism to some intellectual, theoretical realm. Why do people care so much about what protesters are doing in New York City if you don't even really know someone of a different race who lives right next door to you or down the street or that you work with or go to school with. I say turn off CNN and turn off Fox News and all that other stuff because those channels are just huge money-making corporations. They're interested in selling you a product to earn money. All they are peddling is gossip and sensationalism and anger to get you worked up so that you'll watch their show and see their commercials and we buy their product and they make a lot of money. A lot of money. And it has little or nothing productive. It accomplishes little, nothing productive. They make us feel like we're informed and we know it all. And we get all excited and worked up. But in reality, all it does is distract us from real life. And it fills us with anger and resentment. And we don't even pay attention to the person that's sitting right next to us. If you really want to make a difference, if you really want to resist evil and oppression then build some real relationships with people that look different from you. We live in a community that in some places is 20% Hispanic and some places it's 40% or I went to a school a few years ago right here in Dalton and I walked in to the school, it was an elementary school, and I had to have a translator at the front office desk because the school was like 90% Hispanic. That's not a problem. I'm just saying that's right here in our community. If we want to, we've got all kinds of opportunities. We've got a whole church full of Hispanic people that meet, that are going to be meeting in the chapel right down the hall from us in like less than an hour. Do you know them? Have you ever been to their house for dinner? Have you ever asked them to yours? Do you know what their struggles are? Do they know what your struggles are? We need to become friends and neighbors with real people. Build real trust. Confide in each other. 
That's, what, that's where real reconciliation and healing takes place. So that was the question that came in. And as I've been doing throughout this series, I thought about, well, what would God ask you this morning? And it goes back to those promises that we make when we become a Christian. God's questions for you. Do you truly renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness and reject the evil powers of this world and repent of your sin? Do you accept the freedom and power that God gives you to resist evil, injustice, oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and put your whole trust in His grace and promise to follow, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ is open to people of all ages, nations, and races? Are these promises just ideas and empty words? Or are you ready to really live by them? Because Romans 12, 2 tells us. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Amen? Amen. All right.